Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, good morning. Uh, did they mention that baptism is going to be in the Blanchard River on the 18th? That's uh, No, we're not going to go do that. Uh, I'm not going to go do that. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. We are, uh, we're starting a new series this morning uh, in, in the 13th chapter of John. And so this is a story uh, that might be familiar to a lot of people. It's a kind of a familiar passage. But I'm hoping that when we look at it this morning, there might be some ways that God sh- uh, kind of opens our eyes to something new. Or maybe we see the gospel uh, in a deeper deeper way as we uh, as we jump into this this morning. So this is a three-week series, and uh, I'm uh, the, the team that worked to develop this series uh, did just such an incredible job of seeing um, seeing the gospel and seeing how this points to that in Scripture. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, but before we do, uh, let's let's pray. Father, I thank you that you uh, you want us to know you through your Word. Uh, God, I thank you that you uh, you provided everything we could possibly need in you. And uh, God, I just pray that you would, uh, you would help us to see that clearly today, that you would help us to see uh, you as the solution to all of our, all of our problems, and that, uh, uh, that we would trust you by faith. God, I thank you for this, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so we are, uh, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at the first 17 chapter, 17 verses in, in the, the chapter, uh, 13 chapter of John, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to read those together this morning. The, understand, there is, uh, there is more here than we can even scratch the surface on today. So uh, we're going to f- focus on a few really, really key points uh, that are going to help us maybe see God uh, more clearly and take some real steps forward in, in following him. So uh, if you turn with your in, in your Bibles to John 13, uh, we're going we're gonna to read that together. I'm going to read it here. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow along or you can follow along on, on your, in your Bible there. So let's read this together. Um, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during this ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Actually, this says, you will never, ever wash my feet. Uh, Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So uh, as we jump into this, uh, these first, this is, uh, um, 
the first three verses of this are really uh, setting the scene. John's setting the scene of what's happening here. Uh, this is, it, and it's, it's, it's showing us, you know, uh, the hour had come. Uh, for for Christ to die, uh, the all these things were happening. He he knew he had come from God and he was returning to God. He knew uh, he knew what was about to happen. Uh, he knew what he was committed to. He also knew who, who was going to betray him. You know, uh, Judas is going to betray him. Uh, Peter is going to deny him, and and all of them, everyone's actually going to forsake him. Um, he also knew that he had all authority. God had given him all the authority, and he actually had the power and the authority to make this all stop and go away. You know, he could have done this a completely different way. And so he knew, knowing all that, it says he loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. It, there's no exceptions there. He loved them and because it's who he is. He had full understanding of what he was going to do. He understood what he came to do, and now is the time to do it. And so what he came to do is he actually came to save us. So uh, thinking about all of these things, putting all that thought into these things, this is what prompted him to do something. And he's actually going to do something, um, something unexpected, something that would ultimately communicate his real mission and their real need, right? And his complete and final solution for their need. So uh, these are Jesus's last hours with his disciples. You know, this is three years they've been, they've been with him and uh, he's been communicating stuff with them. But over the next five chapters, we have uh, the words that Jesus thought was most important to share with his followers before he died. And so in those five chapters, these first 17 verses are what give that context and meaning. That's what, this is the why behind everything else he's about to say. So Jesus really, he considers this to be so important that words, words alone are not enough to communicate what he wants to say here. So he takes action. He takes action and paints a physical picture of a much, much deeper spiritual truth for them. So if you're anything like me, uh, memories are really visual. Uh, things that I see and experience are far, far more meaningful uh, to me than something I've just heard or been told about. So metaphor, analogy, word pictures, those are things that fill the pages of Scripture, and they're, they're just tools that God uses to communicate truth on a level that, uh, that might transcend words, right? So this moment is no different. Jesus is painting a really vivid, lasting, experiential memory for his, his disciples. And so what does he do? He washes their feet. You know, he did something that opposed everything in the world and, and really was, uh, it was, <laughs> because he's the most important, the most powerful, and yet he does the thing that is the lowest and the least. He humbles himself and he serves those who are, are the least, and he's the, he's the highest and they're the lowest. So it's backwards from everything that the world believes. You know, try to imagine the picture that he's painting here. You know, he does what no, uh, no, host or leader or teacher would do at that time. You know, he takes this task, uh, one, and so to give you some context, um, at that time, uh, foot washing obviously was very necessary, uh, but it was also considered a very, very low task. I mean, you washed your own feet, but you, you actually, at this time in history, you could not, a Jews could not force another, a Jewish slave. If they had a Jewish slave, they could not make them wash feet. It was reserved for the absolute lowest of the low. So um, for Jesus to do this had to be shocking, right? <laughs> so um, 
Jesus is painting a picture here of, of his real mission. You know, one that they're not going to fully understand until he's raised from the dead. He even says, you're not going to understand this now, but you're going to understand it later. There was likely still confusion among his disciples about why he came. You know, his disciples may have been thinking um, that he came to overthrow Rome and restore Israel. Um, so what Jesus is doing here is, is he's exposing for them what he really came to do. So, and, and these words are not just for Jesus' 12 disciples, but they're ultimately, uh, they're ultimately for all of us. So with that in mind, there are some things uh, that, that Jesus wants to show us through that picture. So remember, this is an analogy. Uh, Jesus is using the act of washing feet to help them understand what he really came to do, and that was to save us. So there, there are a few things that Jesus wants to show us in particular, and the first one is that we have a problem. Um, the second one is that we, it may not be like we think, and, and the third one is that, uh, that he's the ultimate and final solution to that problem. So our problem our problem is that we are dirty and need to be made clean, right? What this is saying, it's saying that sin has made us dirty, or we are dirty because of sin. You know, it's the, it's the thing that's the barrier between us and God. It's the thing that has separated us from God. It's the thing that has broken our relationship with him. You know, that's, that's kind of an offensive statement. You know, you're dirty, but you need to be made clean. And so it's possible that we don't even see ourselves as dirty. Um, you know, he's saying that we need to be made clean from our sin, and we're incapable of doing it ourselves. You know, he says it right there in verse 8 when he says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So we've all got this problem. We've all got this problem that, that even, and even if we don't think we're unclean, even if you don't think that you're broken, even if you don't think that you're guilty, you are, right? This is the boat that everyone's in. And that's, that's ultimately what Jesus is showing through this picture. So Romans, uh, Romans chapter one would say it like this. This is verses uh, 21, 22, um, and then down in, at the end of the chapter as well. Um, <clears throat> It says this, it says, They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, that may not sound like us, but we've all done that. You know, we've all tried to be the leader and the ultimate authority in our lives. We've all made idols out of things that aren't God. You know, by acting like our own God, we've actually denied the true God, we, he, the one that created us to live in dependent relationship with him. That's how we were created. And so we all internally know, we have some internal sense that we're not right. We know that something's missing, and, and we try to fix it ourselves because sin has broken a relationship with God. It's that barrier, it's a void, it's an emptiness, a brokenness, and we know that we're missing something, so we try to fill that void ourselves. 
Um, it, in case you don't believe me, all we have to do is kind of look around. Uh, uh, everyone tries to do this. You know, we, we try to make ourselves whole. You know, for some of us, it's, it's possibly money or success. For others, it's a relationship or it's, it's being recognized and approved of by other people. You know, for some people, it's legacy. It's right. It's, it's how am I going to be remembered and what, what mark am I going to leave on the world? Um, for some people, it's health or long life. And for others, it might actually be by doing good things and serving other people that I try to fill the void and make myself valuable. So the truth is, everyone has it. No amount, that, that void is there, no amount of, of money, relationship, success, good deeds, uh, anything can ever fill it or bridge the gap between us and God. No matter how high you climb up the mountain, you can never reach the top of it on your own, and you're only just one small misstep from falling all the way back down to the bottom. Everything comes crashing down. So sin, self-leadership, is our problem. Separation from God is our problem. So the next thing that he wants us to see here is that he's the solution, right? Uh, our problem may not be, we, it may not be the problem we think we have, but he is the solution, right? Jesus says that unless I wash you, you cannot belong to me. So he's saying that you have a problem, he's the only solution, and he's the only one that could solve it, right? So look at verse 3. It says he's God in the flesh, He's, he's the one, he's the only one who's actually, he has all authority, all power. He came from God. He is God. And so uh, it, it's saying that he's the only one who's living in, a, in perfect dependence on the Father. You know, he's the only one that could live up to the standard. He's the only one who had the right to be in perfect relationship with God. He's the only one with the power and the authority to save us. So Philippians 2 demonstrates it like this, and it's such a clear picture of what Jesus is doing as he, as he goes to wash his disciples' feet. It says, uh, Jesus, who, be, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what he's showing them. That's what he's showing them through this picture, uh, that, that the perfect God over all creation who had never sinned came down in humility and became sin for us. You know, he, he stepped into our filth and took it on himself to make us clean. You know, he paid, he paid the penalty that our sin cost and made us clean. He saw our inability to do it ourselves, and he substituted himself for us. That's the picture that Jesus is painting, and he wants us to see that he's the only solution. Jesus humbled himself and lived in complete dependence on God the Father. He lived in complete obedience, and he was the one who could become our substitute. He became the, the perfect servant that we couldn't be. So uh, Jesus also wants to show us that, uh, he also wants us to see how we can receive that solution to our problem. You know, uh, salvation comes, what he showed us here is that it comes from humility and dependence, but it's also through humility and dependence that we receive it. 
If you look at, at verses 8, 9, and 10, Jesus is, he, he talks about it really clearly. Um, he shows us how we can receive that gift. So Peter says, uh, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. <laughs> I love the never, ever. You know, he, and, and Jesus replies to him, he says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And in true Peter fashion, he says, then wash my hands, my head as well, not just my feet. Jesus replies, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. <clears throat> so what you need to see here is that the solution Jesus is providing is, is twofold. There's two parts to it. <clears throat> so when you put your faith in Jesus uh, and you trust him to wash you, you are clean. You are permanently clean. You've been, you've been given a bath and it's one that's permanent. It's, it's the same thing that baptism symbolizes. And if you weren't here last week, I would deeply encourage you, go back and listen to the teasing from last week, because that's exactly what this is talking about. Um, when you say yes to Jesus and trust him to save you, uh, he cleanses you, right? Um, and, and so what happens is he no longer looks at your record, but when he looks at you, he sees Jesus' record instead. So this first part of it, this is, this is what it looks like. Titus uh, chapter 3 says it like this so clearly. It says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior because of His grace he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Scripture is filled with examples of this and how this plays out. Another one's in Romans 8. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Psalm 103 says it like this, He's removed... <laughs> He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's, it's hard, hard to imagine that, right? There, there is no distance further than that. You know, Hebrews 8.12 says it like this. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Romans 4.7 uh, says, it, says it in another way. It says, What joy for those whose disobedience has been forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. This is the kind of cleansing that can only happen by God's grace. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's by the grace and mercy and love of God given to us through him. You know, So this part of the solution is once and forever. It's finished. It's done. It's a complete work of grace and no work of our own. But uh, the second part of this is just as equally by grace, but it's ongoing. So in verse 10, um, Jesus says this. Uh, he says that a, 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 he goes on to say that somebody who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet. So it makes me ask the question, like, well, what's, what's the second part all about? If we're permanently clean, why do I need to go back and, and be washed again? Um, I think 1 John shed some light on this as well. So, like, if we look at 1 John verse one, verse, or chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So we're made completely clean through Jesus. Nothing can change that. So why is there this need to be clean, be, be cleansed again? Um, so I, I, I would think of it like this. Here's a good example. Um, all of us have been children. And, and uh, if we think of like a, a, a family, um, when children rebel or sin against their parents, they don't stop being children, right? They don't, my, if my children did that or if I did that, I didn't stop being my parents' child. In fact, their love for me didn't really even change. And it may have, it, it may have become, they may have become more aware of their love for me based on the hurt that I had caused them and myself. On myself, you know, uh, it, it doesn't change my legal standing to my parents or their love for me, but I do need to confess and repent, right? I do need to humble myself and come back into relationship with my parents. So confession, confession really is, it's agreeing with God. It's, it's agreeing with his character and the way that he thinks. And repentance is actually coming back into alignment with him. This, this is the example, this example of parent to child is exactly what God uses in the scripture to describe our relationship to him through Jesus. You know, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're not only forgiven, but we're adopted into God's family with full legal rights as his children. And with it, we actually receive irrevocable love of the Father, right? Before him, we were homeless, uh, destitute orphans, but when we said yes to Jesus, not only were we forgiven, but we were adopted into God's family. Romans 8, uh, 15 uh, through 17 says it like this. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share in God's glory, we must also share in his suffering. So what this is saying, it's saying that through Jesus, our relationship to God will never change. But also through Jesus, our relationship with God continues to grow. There will never come a time, there's never going to be a moment where we stop needing to depend on God. That is why when we sin, we need to confess and repent. We need to turn right around into relationship with him, into dependence on him, in agreement with him. And because of Jesus, you can do that with absolute joy and freedom in your heart. You, know, you see, as, as much as God has saved you by his grace through Jesus, he's also transforming your life through that same grace. I think it's really important to understand that, that it's not, this is not a work of ours. Uh, grace is the power to transform our lives. Uh, not only are we saved by it, but we're, we're continually changed by it. So that's, that's what happens when we confess sin and repent. First John said it, it says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. When we humble ourselves and agree with God's character, we actually die 
again to our own self-leadership and we start to depend on God's. We stop going our own way. Jesus doesn't just want to save your life. He actually wants to transform it. So even, even as people who God sees as completely clean because of Jesus, our lives need to change, right? They, they need to change from the pattern they actually were in before Jesus. We're, we're no longer living for ourselves. In Jesus, we're actually new creations with new perspective, living new life. One that isn't like our old one. Uh, you know, we're no longer slaves to sin, but instead we're being transformed into, into the image of Christ. We're transformed to look more and more like the one who saved us. So Paul says it like this in Romans 12. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, perfect, and pleasing. So through confession and repentance, uh, what you're doing is you're actually letting Jesus wash your feet. You're experiencing uh, his grace again and again in a deeper way. You are letting him change you. You He's changing the way you think and the way you live. He's growing you through his grace. Uh, 2 Peter uh, 3.18 says this. It says, uh, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we actually grow in that same grace. So as a Christian, I need both uh, the bath and the foot washing. It's, it's not one or the other. It's actually both, right? So, and, you, and you have to believe in both. If, if, uh, if, if we, it's this, this is a picture of salvation, right? So if I only believed in the bath, uh, you know, you might actually, if you, that's what you believed in, you might think that uh, I have my ticket to heaven and now I can live any way that I want. Um, I, can, I, I might actually be hardened to sin and stop depending on God. When in fact, that isn't actually genuine faith. What that, what that is, it's just using God for your purposes. On the other hand, if you thought you only needed uh, the foot washing, you might think that now every time that you sin, you fall out of favor with God. That when you sin, God can no longer love you. You might think like I did when I first came to faith, even though I said yes to Jesus as my Savior, I thought that every time that I sinned, I lost my place as God's child. That somehow I had to go back and earn my way back into God's favor. So only believing in one of these results, uh, only one, believing in one of these results in license or legalism, it, it, it leads you to hard-heartedness or insecurity. Right, But when you see that you need one bath and continuous foot washing, you have complete peace and joy knowing that you belong to God and nothing can separate you from him. And you have the joy of knowing that Jesus will never stop washing your feet, that he's transforming your life through grace, grace that you're continually dependent on. So this is all really, really good news, and this is, this is truth. And, and when I'm reading this, I'm seeing this all really, really clearly. And so I ask, like, okay, so what does it mean? You know, what does this mean for me? How does this apply? Like, what do I actually do with this? Um, and so what God's calling us to, he's actually calling us to dependence uh, on his love for us. Jesus, in, in verses 12 through 17, we only read the first 11 verses, but in 12 through 17, uh, Jesus actually puts, uh, puts back on his, his outer garment. He stands up and, he, and he, asked the, he asked them a question. He says this, he says, do you understand what I was doing? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. What he's essentially saying is do this for one another. And so I have to ask the question, like, how can I wash somebody else's feet in this way? Right? This seems like something only Jesus could do. You know, this seems, this, but, but it's the same context that he's going to give for later in the chapter when he says, love one another as I have loved you. <clears throat> it seems impossible. Um, I, when I, I think about it, I think, well, only Jesus could do that. Um, but I think there, he's, he's saying something deeper here. If, you, if we look, we're going to look again at Romans 8, uh, verses 15 through 17. It, it says this, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You know, when we humbled ourselves and depended on Jesus, we not only received mercy and grace, but we actually received God's spirit living in us. Romans 8.11 says this, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by his same Spirit living within you. So this is saying that's actually the way that we can do this. One, the Spirit has empowered us to do this, right? We have, we have Jesus' power to do what he's asking us to do. So when Jesus says, wash each other's feet, when he says, love one another as I have loved you, everything points us to the gospel, you know, accepting God's solution for our problem, depending on him to wash our feet, loving one another, washing each other's feet, all of it means looking at what he has done. So that's really the application here. You know, this is the how. How do I do it? What do I do? How do I have love for God and love for others? This is the key. Look at what Jesus has done. Isaiah 45, 22 uh, says it like this. It says, it's just so clear. This is God saying this, and he says, Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, and there is no other. So remember, receiving the gospel is only through humility and dependence. It's not a work of our own. So unless we let Jesus wash us, we, we can't belong to him. So that washing, it's look. We have to look. We have to look at the gift we've received uh, and, and didn't earn, right? Uh, see how you were an orphan. Look at the gospel. See how God adopted you uh, while you were still opposed to him. He forgave you and he adopted you. L look at it. I mean, like, look so deeply at this until you can't look away. Look at it until it changes you. And I would say, even if you don't believe, look. Look to see if it's true. When you look at the gospel, you can't help but see your need. You can't help but see God's love for you and his grace. And you, you can't help but feel like you've received a gift you didn't earn. When you look at the gospel and you look at the cross, um, you see that a perfect God had to humble himself to the lowest possible place to make us clean. And he did that while we were still dirty. Right? He didn't say, wash up first, clean those feet up before I clean them. Uh, he saw us in our helpless condition, and he acted. You know, When we see Jesus as the only solution to our problem, we have to accept being washed clean. 
Now, the world sometimes teaches us to deal with guilt and sin in a different way. Um, like, I know God's forgiven me, but I, I can't seem to forgive myself, right? But there's a flaw in that thinking because um, that basically means that, because uh, uh, this says Jesus can only do it, right? So giving up the power that we think we have and accepting God's grace with humility is the only way to receive it. Because otherwise, I can't be forgiven unless I do it. This is saying, I can't, be, I can't belong to Jesus unless he does it. So remember, salvation comes by humility and dependence, and it can only be received through humility and dependence. So we've got to look at Jesus and be transformed by him. So that's, that's the first part of that. But Because only then, only then can you actually love others. Only then can you actually wash each other's feet. So real love is selfless commitment that points others to dependence on Jesus. That's how we wash, other, wash each other's feet. We, we can only point each other to depend on Jesus for our solution. We can only point them to, to, to Jesus to make them clean. So the gospel, it gives us this new perspective. Um, it's, it's a perspective that destroys comparison, right? I, I can't think of myself as better than someone, um, but instead I see others uh, who are opposed to God uh, and, and maybe even people who are opposed to me. I see them as no different than me, right? I see them as people who are desperately in need of God's grace, just like me. So if you look at the cross, the outcome is you will wash each other's feet. You, you will serve each other. You will have compassion and kindness for people inside God's family and those who are far from him, right? It's, it's simply a product of being transformed by the gospel. You know, this text is talking about far more than doing menial tasks for one another, those things are going to happen. But if we're, if we're kind and we serve others without in ever inviting them to know the one who solved our ultimate problem and made us clean, we're not loving them the way that Jesus loved us. We're essentially hoarding God's grace without helping others to know it and receive it. So washing each other's feet really is washing each other with the gospel. That's, that's what Jesus did. You know, real love is selfless commitment to others that points them to dependence on Jesus. We, we can't be the substitute that Jesus was. We actually can't save anyone. But real love is pointing them to the one who can. It's inviting others to know Jesus and depend on him. Now, everybody needs to be washed clean, and only Jesus can give us the bath that we never need again, but he's clearly calling us to join him in washing each other's feet. So this will absolutely happen through, through acts of service and kindness and sacrifice, but all of those things flow out of the joy and new perspective that we have in the gospel. All those things uh, that we do inside and outside God's family point others to humility and dependence on Jesus. They have, they have to point to the gospel. Uh, the gospel is not just for people who are far from God, uh, but they're, they're for God's people. We, I need to be washed in the gospel. So here, here's an example of what this might look like. Um, last week, as I was preparing to teach on this today, I'm, I was wrestling with my own need too. You know, I'm wrestling with the same thing, uh, the same thing here. And, uh, and it's a lot like Peter was, right? Peter, uh, he uh, objects to, uh, to Jesus washing his feet. Um, Peter looked at the way that Jesus was getting ready to serve him and saw how wrong it was, 
It, it was wrong that Jesus, who was perfect, who was the Messiah, who was his Lord and his teacher, was about to do for him what was the lowest imaginable task. Peter responded the same way that, that John the Baptist might have, because John knew that he was the one who needed to be cleansed, not Jesus. He, he should have been baptizing John, not John, not the other way around. Peter knew that it was him that should have been washing Jesus' feet, not the other way around. So they were both offended and broken by Jesus' humility. When they looked at their God and their creator, their Lord and their teacher, substituting himself for them, they were broken. They saw their desperate condition, they saw their need, and they found Jesus as their perfect solution. So it was actually the same for me. Uh, as I'm studying this passage, I'm going to teach on it, I, I saw again um, that I saw the way that my Savior was substituting himself for me. I was really overwhelmed by this. I was broken. Uh, I was confronted by my own need, my own sin, and my own constant need to be washed by God's grace. I saw once again that I do not deserve the love that I received, and I, I, was, I was personally, I was struggling to accept the forgiveness that I have through Jesus. So at Lighthouse, uh, we take time at the end of every service to give opportunities for people to, to pray for us. So last week, as I'm wrestling through all this, I went and I asked one of our prayer partners to pray for me. Um, and I kind of stumbled through explaining how I was struggling with this. And uh, um, I was struggling to accept God's forgiveness and, and understand God's grace. And do you know what they did? They washed my feet, right? Because when they prayed for me, they did exactly what Jesus did and what he said to do. They loved me, not because I deserved it, uh, but because they had received the same grace that I had. They, they prayed for me and they pointed me to dependence on God. You know, they reminded me that only Jesus can make me clean. They helped me receive again the gift of God's grace. That's how we wash each other's feet. That's how we love one another. It's, it's through selfless commitment that points other people to dependence on God. It, we point each other there. So if, if you're here today and, and you see your need to be washed clean, I would tell you first, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he's done and then let him wash you clean. So if you've never said yes to Jesus before, that's, you can actually do that right now. now. When you trust him to wash you, you are made clean forever. There's no more void to fill. You're adopted as his child, and he will wash your feet continually and transform your life. Um, if you have, if you've already made that decision, if you have trusted Jesus to wash you, uh, you might be like me. You might need to hear this. You are clean. Nothing can separate you from his love. Even when you sin, Jesus is there to wash your feet and bring you back into perfect relationship with him. So humble yourself and depend on him. Then help each other know and depend on Jesus. That's how you wash each other's feet. That's how we can do what Jesus is calling us to do. If you ever wonder, uh, what is God's will for my life? Jesus is showing us right here. It's to be washed by him 
to love him with all of our heart, and then to wash each other with the gospel. So um, I want to extend to you the same uh, opportunity that got extended to me last week. Um, you, we, we do this every week. We offer the opportunity for somebody to pray, pray with us. So we've got prayer partners that are going to be in each of the four corners of the room, and they're headed there now. Um, but these people want to pray for you. They want to point you to dependence on Jesus. So I would encourage you. I was so encouraged by that last week. Um, man, if, if you need prayer, and everybody does, everybody needs prayer. If you need that, uh, I would encourage you. you can, we're going to pray here in just a second, and then you can go. Uh, you can go, and they will pray for you. They will love you. They will care about you. And they will point you um, to how you can trust Jesus more. So, But before we do that, let's take just a second and pray. Father, I thank you that you make clear through your word exactly what you've done. I thank you that you love us, uh, you cleanse us, and you transform us. And so, Father, I pray that everybody who, uh, who needs prayer uh, would come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.